We are back for another episode of our Triumph Pod. Nick Kamiski and the soon-to-be rector of St. John's in Brooklyn, New York, Ben DeHart. How are you, Ben? I'm great. It's actually priest in charge. We'll be rector, hopefully, in a year and a half. But uh, that's not your fault. Actually, our people at the Advent said rector because we're all about appearances here in Birmingham, and okay. rector okay. appears better. Yeah. Uh, don't, uh, yeah. Don't know the difference between those two. Don't care to learn. All right, man. So I thought what we do at the start here is um, the Oscars are kind of coming up. We're 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 in that in that time of the calendar, and I'm not like a big. I never make year end list or anything. I don't think you do either. But if we were to say, man, here's who I here are the three movies I would want to win Best Picture. What three movies would that be for you, and why? Man, I'm gonna. I'm just gonna go one. Maybe we'll do all three. But man, I kind of hope that Top Gun Maverick just takes it. It's definitely not gonna win. Definitely not. But this is this win. isn't about prediction. This is about yeah. what you would want to win. I am. Despite all the hype, I saw it months after it came out. You hyped it up. I didn't even see it in IMAX or anything like that. I saw it after Christmas with my in-laws. I think there were even commercials because it was like the 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 Peacock or Paramount. With oh, you saw it at home and yeah, yeah. in the theater. Yeah. yeah, and it was it was as good, if not better, than what everyone said. And wow. I was like, kind of like high expectations slash cynical about it. Yeah, and man, I would live in that world for a couple more movies if Tom Cruise will bless us with a few more. I mean, I'm sure it'll be terrible after this one, but this yeah, is great. I don't know if I'll live long enough. Yeah, yeah, I don't, I don't. I kind of don't understand what the hype is about. I mean, I thought it was fine. I I didn't like love it. Love it. Oh, yeah. I I know. I know. Probably sheer nostalgia. Sheer just see. I didn't see up on America because everyone's been so down (laughs) in the U.S. for so long. I I I had never seen Top Gun the original until like a week before I saw the second one. It just wasn't a part of my childhood for one reason or another. I wasn't. Granted, I think whatever you think about this whole phenomenon, the second one is by far a better movie. Oh, that's definitely true. I, I would say that. I would say that for sure. Yeah. All right. Well, so while I'm thinking about a second one, what what's your top pick or top picks? Yeah. I I think I have two and they're pretentious and whatever. I I think the most I think the most important movie of the year has to be Tar. I think Tar is unbelievable. And it's I still shamefully have not seen. Yeah. I think Tar is incredible. As a movie, you know, it's it's not a super fun watch. It's pretty long. There's reasons why it, it, it's not like a great movie watching experience. But I think what it says about the stories we tell ourselves and how we define success and what constitutes excellence and the way that the way the way that in the the world that we live in you are successful by saying you're successful and that you are influential because i just think the way it it, it scrambles that narrative is like so fascinating a lot of people talk about it as like a me too movie or i don't think it's really about that at all i think it's predominantly about how we present ourselves to the world and whether Mm -hmm. purely presenting yourself one way makes you that way or not and how livable is that conceit i think that's so interesting and so important. So I, I think Tar is like, I think in 20 years, we'll look at Tar and be like, that movie mattered and was so important. And I do not think we'll think that about everything everywhere all at once, which will absolutely win Best Picture. I was actually going to leave with this. <laughs> yeah. I'm make, make fun of you for that movie because, well, neither of us really, well, it's not that we didn't like it, but I, I didn't yeah, love I, it. I saw it 
very recently after being told this is the, you know, the best movie of the year. And so I think if I just would have walked into a random theater and saw it, been like, oh, that was really creative and really fun and had some cool mm-hmm. things to say about family and belonging. But the weight that it's bearing now, in my view, is not weight that it was designed to bear. I think the best movie movie of the year, like best picture in terms of the holistic achievement is Nope. The Jordan Peele. Oh, dude, Nope was great. Yeah. Oh, dude, Nope is- I saw it in a, in a, in a, on a plane. <laughs> oh, wow. Watch Nope again. I, I, my experience was when I saw it in the theater, the pacing of it is so weird. And there's a decent amount of like, what's, what's going to happen, which is cool. But at least for me as a movie watcher, if I'm pretty drawn into the plot, all I care about is the plot. And you don't, you miss a lot of what's happening in like the subtleties of a movie. So when I watched it for a second time, I'm like, oh, this movie is way, way better than I thought it was. And it's, there's way more going on than I thought there was. And I like liked it way more because I could watch for all the little things and not just like, when's the alien going to appear and what's going to happen to the hero. Mm-hmm. Once you know the basic plot, you can actually like, appreciate it for what it is i think nope is awesome which nope is, is incredible because you have the minority report on get out you are not i, I do not fan. yeah i think get out i honestly it's a similar feeling that i have to everything everywhere all at once i think mm-hmm. get out is a super cool conceit and it has a very cool thing to say about race relations in the united states or race relations what a terrible phrase i just think it's like a relatively simple analogy and it's not scary. Like the movie, it's not a scary movie. So it's like, it's kind of like a message movie with a little bit of genre thrown in. And you know, you know, I, I hate message movies. So I just, I just, I mean, it's cool, but I think, I don't, so, you know, I think, um, I think it's also fair to say that like what it represents in terms of like a black dude making a movie that's so commercially successful, that is awesome, undeniably. But as an actual standalone movie, my- go with Nope. I go, I would go with Nope. I would go with Nope and then us and then probably get out. I like, I like his movies increasingly more, the more like ambitious and big they get. I'll say, I mean, for everything, everywhere, all at once, there were great performances and people are going to hate me for this, but I found it to be like pretty derivative. Like just, yeah, that's the whole point. Special. That's the whole Um, point. It's like, it's just a genre blend mashup thing. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever. Um, I'm going to go with another uh, off the wall pick. Um, Did you see Emily the Criminal? uh with aubrey plaza aubrey plaza it's a netflix movie it i saw like it yeah i when saw you're it rolling, scrolling yeah. through the netflix movies it looks like another one of the millions of it looks like movies it, emily in paris or whatever that movie is called yeah our show is called and it's probably because i had no expectations but it's actually a pretty well done movie i'm I actually i'm a pretty big fan of hers i've never even seen the white lotus but i guess a lot of people love her in that yeah but check out emily the criminal not gonna win any awards but uh <laughs> definitely <solid>. definitely <laughs> definitely uh yeah 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 definitely no one's potting about uh, emily emily the criminal <laughs> but okay now to the matter at hand we talked a couple weeks ago about the first half of article two which is kind of the Christology, the identity of Christ or the the person of Christ. I thought we were going to, we're going to do two episodes about the, the achievement or the triumph of Christ. And we're going to talk in this episode about the crucifixion and the descent of Christ into hell. And then in a future episode, we'll talk about the resurrection of Christ and the ascension. But this, this episode, crucifixion descent is the second half of article two and article three, and I will read them. The son truly suffered, was crucified, dead, 
and buried to reconcile his father to us and to be a sacrifice, not only for original guilt, but also for actual sins of men. As Christ died for us and was buried, so also is it to be believed that he went down into hell. All right. So yeah, as Nick mentioned, that's the end of article two and all of article number three. So let's start with, yeah, the passion, the crucifixion. Gosh, how do we talk about this for 13 minutes, Nick? But I mean, this is everything. Uh, on Sunday, I talked about the temptations of Jesus and how at the temptations of Jesus, we see Jesus waging hand-to-hand -hand combat with the devil. If we go back to the incarnation, all the time we think of nativity as some really cute thing because we see those really cute plays put on by children, which are great. But the incarnation is the invasion of a world ruled by sin and death, ruled by the devil. In the temptation, we see combat. We see a battle won by our Lord Jesus Christ. At the cross, we see the vocation that the devil wanted to veer him off of, we see not just a battle, but the war is won. God has, in Jesus, defeated the powers of sin and death that enslave us. He has reconciled us to his father, as this article says. So it's uh, he's won this war. He has undone the sin or the temptation that Adam fell prey to. He's reconciled us to God. He was a sacrifice for all of our sins. So, and not just our guilt, but for our actual sins. Our actual sins unleashed this cosmic warfare into the world, uh, or at least you might say something like that. But it also introduced enmity with God. And God in Jesus is the one who undoes that enmity. Abraham couldn't do it. The people of God couldn't do it. You and I can't do it. But God and Jesus has undone that enmity. He's won the war. Honestly, it's it's too good to be true, right? I mean, I'm going to go back to the temptation real quick, just because right before the temptation is the baptism of Jesus. And that is when God says over Jesus, this is my beloved son. With him, I am well pleased. And then in the temptation, Satan immediately tries to question that. He says to Jesus, if you are the son of God, now, turn these stones into bread and more. He's immediately questioning Jesus's identity as God's son. God's son defeats Satan in this battle. He defeats Satan once and for all at the cross. We have been united to him. We are sons and daughters of God in Jesus. And what this means is, this too good to be true news, is that when we like the people of Israel in the First Testament, when we fall prey to temptation, when we do what Adam did and increase that enmity with God, it, it doesn't matter anymore. I mean, it does, but it doesn't because we have been made sons and daughters of God by virtue of being united with Christ. And there is nothing that we can do to undo that. Mm. Nothing. So that is why Paul in his letters is obsessed with the cross. Now, of course, he thinks of the cross as the cross and resurrection and the whole shebang. But the reason why he calls it the cross is because at this place, at this event, the war was won. We've been reconciled. The sacrifice has been made. We don't have to make sacrifices anymore. 
we have been reconciled. We are indelibly sons and daughters of God in Christ. And we cannot spend enough time on that. So say something before we go on to you said it in hell. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I think the the two the two purposes of the the crucifixion highlighted in the article, you know, very much an economy of words here. So that the phrases that are used are there for a reason. And what the article says is there was a Godward movement from God to humankind. And then there was kind of a movement as it were from humankind to God, you know, the God human Jesus Christ is the only one that can do this. But at least the, the commentaries I was reading suggest that in, in his, in the thought world of the performers, the idea that Jesus's death was a sacrifice is representative, not even so much of the Levitical system and certainly not a sacrifice in the like romantic sense of the word. Like he sacrificed himself for me. He must love me so much, but more in the sense of we owe God this debt for disregarding his honor and glory. And so the sacrifice to repair the breach in the relationship had to be paid by a human being because the offense came through a human being. So only man could sacrifice, could make a sacrifice, but only God could kind of respond to that sacrifice in reconciliation. So that's what, I think that's kind of an interesting way to think about it. You know, whether how biblical that is, is whether there's better ways of reading the New Testament now, you know, I'm sure. But to your point, it's, it, it seems like it's there, or at least yeah. there's a trace of it there. So maybe, maybe that's a little too transactional for us, but I mean, yeah. it wasn't, it wasn't for the reformers. <laughs> right. And I think, I think one way to think about it is like, you know, this is a, a kind of a dumb, not dumb, but this is a simplistic way of thinking about it. But did Jesus die on the cross because we, it to prevent our death on, as the result of sin or to identify us? identify with us in the fact that we die in our sin, you know, like Ash Wednesday, you receive the ash to, from dust, you will return. So the cross in some way is, is a rescue mission, but it's a rescue mission through identification. And Jesus is going all the way down with us, like in the waters of baptism. But what's different, of course, is that Jesus did not say, stay dead. And so then that reconciliation language in the, in, in the article on crucifixion, is pointing to how the death of Christ is salvific for us because Jesus, the God-man, taking our sin upon himself, bearing the consequences of our sin in himself, you know, is only efficacious because he did not stay dead, of course. But I think it helps. It helps. I like the idea that the cross is as much of about identification as it is like an alien forensic check mark that you had to Jesus had to get to save us is like he's showing us the cost of sin and he's bearing our cost of sin but I don't know it's interesting I mean we all still die <laughs> you know yeah. the wages of sin remain death yeah. and so there's a way in which even in our death even in our darkest moments we don't experience the eternal death of sin in Christ but we Jesus is yeah he's rescuing us in a way that is still in touch with where we still are. I don't know. Something about that is appealing to me. Yeah. No, I mean, like it is, I think it gets to that mystery of how does time work? Is some of this outside of time? What does it mean that Jesus died? Um, yeah. I mean, what does it mean in a second? What we're going to talk about with the third article. Uh, because yeah, no, I'm 
I'm not content with um, at least the ramifications of the war being ended, um, being a part of my everyday life. Right. Life is so darn hard. Right. And it's worth, I, also, I mean, sorry. sorry. Well, I think it's just worth, you know, the article too. I mean, I, as we're preparing for this pod and as we're talking now, I'm like just imagining what it would be like to teach these articles in like a, a forum setting or a Sunday school setting. And I mean, it's the language is just so dense and it, some of the articles are so long. So article two, you get all of this stuff about the two natures of Christ, substance, nature, all these metaphysical terms. And I think what is the article is trying to underline is like what what happened to one person matters for every single person because this one person jesus christ was this utterly unique never before never since merger of god and humankind and so the article is this it's weighted in such a way that actually pays much more attention to the person of christ than the work of christ article two at least and i think it's to underline that like for the reformers what mattered more than anything else is that what god did in christ was the a decisive, definitive overturning of the ages. And so to bear the weight of that, Jesus had to be utterly unique and no like anyone, unlike anyone who came before or after. So which is why we had to spend so much time on that, like that weird otherness transcendence <laughs> of God for the first two articles before we could get into like the stuff that's existentially satisfying. Because yes. it doesn't really yeah. matter if it's existentially satisfying if it if it's not efficacious in a cosmic sense for totally. Real people. Totally. So article one and the second half and article two, most of article two is God is unlike us, but Jesus Christ is somehow both like us and like God. And then the end of article two is, and Jesus died to reconcile us, to reconcile the father to us and to be a sacrifice. Now, article three gets a little we weird. Are. And man, I am not kidding. So Sunday, someone came up to me after church and said, why do we say that Jesus descended to the dead, like in the Apostles' Creed? Like, what does that mean? Do you believe that? Is that in the Bible? And then that was on Sunday. And then this morning, I was meeting someone for coffee. And afterwards, he said, you know, one thing I've been meaning to ask you about. Some of the prayers that we use, it talks about, you know, praying for the dead. Do, do we believe that? <laughs> and I thought, man, I don't know. <laughs> so... This not neither of well the first thing I said about the Apostles' Creed that is directly reflected in the Creed, but that it brings up this idea of is there a realm of the dead or are the dead imprisoned in some way or I don't know. So Ben, what do you think about this? After Christ died for us and was buried, so also is it to be believed that he went down into hell? Yeah, and the old language does say hell. It seems like the Descended to the dead is kind of a newer thing from what I was reading. You can correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I lean on Fleming Rutledge for all this stuff, to be completely honest. I lean on her for most things, if I'm being completely honest. But um, yeah, I think, I think the major confusion might be that we would think that Christ's work was not complete on the cross, that the war was not won there. What we're talking about when we say he descended to the dead or to hell is we're not saying, oh, there was some unfinished work that he had to do uh, <laughs> under the earth or something like that. Fleming Rutledge talks about how he descended into hell. Is Hell is to be understood more so as a realm or a dominion than an actual place that's around forever. So when she talks about descended into hell, 
it's saying that Jesus really did descend into the darkest parts of lived experience and humanity, which would mean that, again, hell is not a place under the ground, uh, but but hell hell is a realm that we're kind of unaware of, but also that hell is kind of unleashed somehow in our everyday lives. And um, you could go to examples like the the famous Dostoevsky example of the suffering of children or remember the tsunami of 20 years ago or just, you know, earthquake in, 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 in Turkey. Um, but hell being closely related to the powers of sin and death that just a moment ago we said that Christ defeated and why so often things are so very bad. So Christ really went there. Now, some people have quote those passages from First Peter that talk about him ministering to the dead. To the, to the spirits, yeah. Um, yeah, no, I mean, like, there's a lot of church history behind that. I, I don't know. I mean, yeah, it's, it's in the Bible. So it's I mean, in yeah. the Bible. <laughs> it has to matter, I mean, yeah. What I mean by that is, like, exeg- exegetically, it's, like, complicated. Um, but, yeah, no, it's it seems that either to Old Testament saints, or Flamingo so so far as to say the text doesn't really say it was to Old Testament saints. It seems to be to everybody. Um, I don't know what to do with that. Uh, but I would love for that to be true, that, that Jesus goes to all the dead, all those in hell, which there's, you know, a lot of us are currently in hell uh, and preaches to us there. So, but like, I think, uh, I mean, I, I know what you're saying to some degree. I think people could rightly, or people might hear you and say, well, hell or the dead or the powers or whatever is kind of a metaphor to describe how things can really, how bad things can really get on earth. Like as if to say, man, that traffic was hellish. (laughs) And you're not saying hell was an adjective for really bad. I think you're saying that there's more there. There's a realm that's more than just, again, I keep saying a, a a place underground, not that most people think it's underground or anything like that, but. It's it's a it's it's, it's a version sure. of re- it's yeah. a place, I guess, but it's a realm and it's I don't know if it's all that far away. Uh, yeah, sure. Yeah, that yeah, totally. Um I there think seems that, to be an intelligence behind it, which is very complicated, right? Because sin is not a thing and yet it is a thing, and I don't really want to get into that. Yeah. Um, yeah, but we're not supposed to think, obviously, and this is kind of how I thought about this is like a child was like, okay, Jesus died on Friday net afternoon, but then there's this like, you know, 36 hour period between Friday afternoon and Sunday morning. And in that 36 hour period, the spirit of Jesus went somewhere apart from his body to this place called the dead. And there he like did some stuff and all those other disembodied spirits like went somewhere else because he went down there, that there was like some actual rescue mission that chronologically took place between the hours of friday afternoon and easter sunday i don't i think obviously that's not what's happening but i do think there's a way in which we live in time and space and our imaginations are by definition visual so we can't think about things that do not exist in time and space but i think like for classical christians who just had a very different way of understanding metaphysics that there would be an order of reality 
that exists as real as the order of reality that we're in that are, is not bound by time and space, just like God is not bound by time and space, that like there is these beings that are real because they are the object of God's judgment, which confers a reality upon them. <laughs> That like they're not in time and space, but they're real, and that the and that the crucifixion and of Jesus was a liberating act for them, and they had a new existence before the Father because Jesus had this new existence before the Father. Like I think, I think that is that is real. I think that's what they're. I think that's what's happening. Yeah. Right, I think that's what's happening. In and this, maybe that's in this. like the kind of weird balancing act. Whether this is true of the creators of the articles or this just contemporaries looking at the articles and looking at these doctrines is you mentioned an error of all right making casting aside science casting aside physics and trying to understand this is you know temporal etc um the equal and opposite error would be just to make all this some kind of metaphor. Exactly. No, that's that's right. Yeah. Totally. What I think that the best theologians are trying to do is trying to live in light of the Enlightenment, and also this is real. Um, how do we understand evil or its genesis or the problem of evil? Uh, we, we probably aren't going to get at the best answers on this side of the grave, uh, and yet. I think we can all resonate with, we no longer have to tell people uh, evil's real. People just, people know evil's real. People know suffering's real. I mean, maybe you can find exceptions, but even in New York City, I mean, uh, more people talked about like spirits and uh, like witchcraft and stuff like that, like it was real than than I expected. Um, and so, I mean, even when we talk about Satan, what does it mean? This this personification of an evil intelligence. I believe that. Um, uh, is is Satan a guy with a pitchfork who no, yeah, you know, is everywhere, not. is yeah. outside your bedroom? Um, no, but yeah, but I but, mean, look, look yeah. at the world. But but like to sorry to but like just to press this point of the of uh, the article. Like I think what this article is saying are is that the crucifixion of Jesus not only matters for those for whom came after it but that mm -hmm. the crucifixion of jesus mattered for those who came before it too yeah. <laughs> and that those who were dead and under the curse of death were liberated by the death of jesus how and the mechanics and where they were i, I don't know but i think what is trying to be said about the line in the creed he descended to the dead is that not just he truly died or that it was really bad, but that his death liberates not only those who put their faith in him now, but even he, he changed the, the order a bit such that. Yeah. Those, and Paul I, talks about it at times, like being outside of time in like a weird way. And yeah, I, I, th I think you're onto something there. That, yeah, it is weird. The, the kind of classical Christian way of, Nah, it's just it's just so hard for me to imagine actually believing yeah. that. I think but. it's where like you know a, a slight dose of philosophy is good for us. That that big word ontology and being is really helpful because we tend to think in terms of time and the early church and the reformers. They thought in terms of of uh, you know hey this this event that may have happened in time is also trans time um, outside of time and just how that yeah. makes sense we don't really know but. 
Yeah, that would be a very important thing to revisit once we hit the ascension. But we're not there yet, so we will talk soon. We'll see you soon.